0: Everybody, We're here again, I can't believe a whole week has gone by, but we're here again with Wake Up Call, the podcast, the soundtrack, Wake Up Call, the podcast, maybe I will be a soundtrack one day, I'm manifesting, <laughs> uh, but we're here again, same topic as last time, some of the same guests, at last week we started to talk about how do you start and grow a law firm that serves you, emphasis on the you, because you can do it. Some of uh, my best friends here are doing it. They are proof. And we wanted to continue that conversation and give some more nuts and bolts kinds of advice about like strategic things that you guys have done in your firms that our audience can take away and hopefully implement in their firms, not just more like last time. I think we were just a little more like mindset, like you can do this. Now we're going to tell you actually how you can do it. So joining me again are Stephanie Hunnell and Jamie Berger, uh, family law attorneys in New Jersey. And added to the roster today is a Dow. She is also a family law attorney in New Jersey. Thank you so much for joining me again today. Um, Ade, you have been on. You were like, you were on like way, way back, like when I first started even doing these. Way,
1: way back when we you were we were chronicling um the events of COVID and how to operate a completely virtual practice. And here you are. Um, yeah. A completely virtual practice. It's
0: awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, you know, definitely, I think, you know, some of the things that I do are good for people who have a virtual practice. But if you don't, it's just as applicable. And I wanted you all to come back with some, um, you know, specific things, like maybe a sort of a list of like maybe the best things that you could advice you could give to other law firm owners that really helped move the needle for you and allow you especially to have a law firm where you get to do the things that you really want to do in it, but you don't have to do the things you don't want to do. Um, so I don't know who wants to go first. Who's got a burning desire to go first? A lot of
1: pressure. Nobody. I I will go first. I, I will tell you that, um, you know we talked about coaching you talked about coaching last week and i'm not in htm now but i had been and i also have done coaching with allison williams um and and both are great and one of the things that i think is the most paramount to learn from any kind of coaching experience is that you need to make sure that you're not burning your all of your ends and in the middle too right and so the more that you can automate, the better off you are. And that goes from every step of the practice, from the first answering of the phone, right, to that, that intake process, um, to filing your final documents if you're doing divorces like we are. Um, automation is key. So, you know, if, if, if my staff doesn't want to do a full intake on somebody, we have links for them to do full intakes. If somebody was doesn't want to give us their credit card number when they call, they can do a full intake on online, they can access my calendar online, because um, we run everything by appointment only in my firm, so that we can all have peace of mind.
0: Yeah, I love that. I
2: I think that's, I think that's really true. I also think, um, you know, for 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 us i think it was and a lot of it did stem from the coaching but implementing you know it's like they progress not perfection like making making choices and then let those choices sort of lead to more choices and i think that was really once we started to do that sarah and i it it made such a huge difference because i think we stood in our own way for a long time you know you get stuck in the things that you you know you think you know but you really don't know them as well as you think you know them and somebody In your firm probably knows how to do them better and so just you know delegating and implementing um, and making those you know those choices really made a huge difference for us as we started to grow our practice Mm
3: -hmm. one of the biggest basics for me when i was growing my practice so i feel like i have the best and worst of both worlds because my first firm that i have i call it my first firm did not serve me at all Um, I did everything the wrong way. I feel like 60 plus hours a week and I worked so much. Um, But my next rendition of the firm where we have practice management software, I think that for us was a game changer. I didn't have that before. I didn't even know it existed. And maybe um, now more attorneys are aware that there are practice management software, uh, different types out there. Um, but that being able to build through the software, being able to communicate with clients through the software, being able to upload all of the documents, so we don't have to spend so much time, you know, hand holding our clients because they still get the same service and they can access it access 24 seven. So that to me was like one of the biggest tips I can ever. Um, and then it has automated billing where you set reminders so if they haven't paid it automatically reminds them if they need to pay a retainer they can pay through the portal you have a link that goes to your website and so it's really helpful what is the software that you use I currently use my case that's
0: what we use yeah we use um,
2: we use smokeball we switched to them um, a few years ago and we've we've been really happy with their their system too there's so many out there and they all and they all have you know different,
1: Bells and whistles, but football's been pretty really yeah. good. Yeah, we use, we use Practice Panther um, here, and I, I have to agree that one of the biggest things that you can do is make sure that you streamline that interaction with your clients, especially with respect to billing. I was at a Bar Association event here in Staten Island uh, the other day, and a girlfriend of mine came up to me and she said that she had thriced her billing by just adding a CRM. And 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 that's invaluable, you know. If you if you're still doing this stuff on an Excel spreadsheet, or you have to type out letter bills to clients, start looking at all of these different um, CRMs because that income that you're going to be able to capture can change your life. It can change the way the way your entire yeah. firm is made up.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things I think about, because I'm, I guess I'm very money oriented, but we all are, right? There's no shame in saying that. I'm saying it like it's a bad thing, right? David Nagel, we have to talk about David Nagel again, of course. But, you know, (laughs) he always talks about that too, is like, what is your money mindset? You know, like, like I'm sort of whispering, like I'm money oriented, like it's a bad thing. And I have to kind of catch myself Mm -hmm. because it's not a bad thing. We're all money more oriented. Every single person, like, you know, my nine-year-old goddaughter is money oriented. You know, she wants money so she can go to five and below and buy whatever, (laughs) you know, we, we have bigger toys, more expensive toys, (laughs) but we're all in business to support the lifestyle that we want. And or even if you just have a job somewhere where you're working for someone else, we're all money oriented. So it's not a bad thing. It's not a dirty thing. So, you know, everyone work on getting over that because you'll see that pop up in different places. And one of the places that immediately comes to mind is your collection process, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, Oh, well, you know, my normal retainers, 5,000, but I got this lady and she's a victim of domestic violence and she's a single mom and I feel so bad for her. And she wants to pay me like $2 a week. And I'm sort of like tempted to do it because she needs help. Like anybody who this sounds familiar to you. it's Okay. It's lovely that you want to help people, but you can't do it to your own detriment. You know, you still have to make payroll and pay all your own bills and support your own lifestyle. And you can't do that. If this sounds horrible, you're always feeding the stray cat. That's not going to make you money. When you get to the place where your firm is at a revenue, you've met a revenue goal or a profit goal, then you can really start thinking, okay, how can I give back to the community in a way that I would like to? You know, maybe you, you have some kind of pro bono pro program that works for you, makes you feel good, and you can help those people. But at the same time, you're still making money because you can't help people if your firm ends up failing because you're you know giving out too many freebies. So yeah, that's right. You guys are all shaking your head. I mean, I think we've all been through that. Like, I've I've helped people where I later was like, I don't think I should have done that.
3: Can I jump if in? I, I
0: want to. Go ahead,
3: the, I, the um the people. This is me being a little jaded over the years. I also find that the people that you offer these payment plans to that have come to you with like open hands and saying we really need this help, and you've offered to do that. They always fail. They don't appreciate your time. They don't make the payments on time. They have some other excuse or another excuse or another excuse of why they can't pay you anymore. When the case is done, they're gone. Crickets, they're, they have no desire to pay you. So I think that's there's also a value, a time value. And if you choose right. to represent somebody for free, like I've taken on some cases where I said, I'm going to do your appeal. I'm only charging you costs or something. It's because I feel strongly about that case. Right. I know I can afford to do it. And I'm making that choice because I know the person can't afford it, and that's my choice, and I don't feel bad at all about it. Right. But the I next really person agree. that comes in, right?
2: Yeah. If it's a conscious decision that you're, you know, you're taking on a pro bono, or somebody in your office is taking on a pro bono. Mm-hmm. I worked um, with an organization years ago that um, the the women were forced into marriage, so it was untangling these really like messy, mm-hmm. um, you know, situations, and and that was that. That was feel good work. Right. And but when you have a client who you've, you know, you've made a deal with from from the get go, um, you know, a lot of times and we talked about this last time, it's like the psychology behind it. When you're working for somebody for free, they're not valuing your product, your work, your time, your anything. And so they're not.
1: they're, they're really did. not. They're really not. And I I've never done anything pro bono in office, but I have done low bono work. So, you know, if my hourly rate is $450, I may charge somebody 225, something like that. You know, and I've done that in, in the case of an appeal like, um, like Stephanie mentioned. And I try to keep at least two low bono cases in the office that I really care a lot about. Um, not, and it's not that you don't care about your other cases. It's that, you know, something really speaks to your heart about this particular case, right? Um, but it's important to not make that your entire mission because here's the deal. We all have families, even if we're not married and, or even if we don't have kids. We are our own family if that's the case. And we have to support ourselves, you know, and, and you will. You will have people who will give you a whole story, and just because they give you the story doesn't mean it's true. I mean, I've I've heard the story and then come out and see people get into like a Lexus GX. I'm saying, well, where's the story? Did the, when did the story end? <laughs> you know, where you so, see them
0: carrying a Louis Vuitton bag, yeah, or something, right? And you're Your like, was that in mind? You know what, what's <laughs> going on? <laughs> so. Yeah, well, yeah. Something David always says is because he teaches sales is when someone is sort of balking at at buying something, he always says to ask, well, do you just not have money or do you not have money for this? Right. Because mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed it myself. You know, there's like something like, I feel like, you know, I should probably do, but I'm like, ah, oh, I don't really have the money for that right now, but you, you know what? My friends want to go to Vegas. I'm booking that trip. I just booked it. It's done. We're going, I had money right. for that, but right. I didn't have money for the other thing. We right. all do it. Yeah. Right. Oh. We were talking about that
1: last week. I mean, you you, you know, when I commented, you know, pay, realize that your time is worth it. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of um, paid consultations. Well, we call them strategy sessions. I do not do anything that I am not paid to do because it costs money to get those degrees on my wall. And uh, yeah. And I'm also putting myself, you have to remember that when you're doing these strategy sessions, you're putting yourself into a position whereby you can't, be employed by the other person in the matter, right? So, so you're you should get paid for for that time, um, and even if you think it's easy for you, it's probably only easy for you to give this advice because you spent years honing
0: the experience to be able to give that advice, and that costs money. Yeah, that also. Yeah, and I think strategy. a lot of us have a tendency to kind of think, "Well, I'm so fortunate," and this person is, you know living in a place with rental assistance and doesn't even have a car. But again, like you, you have to try to dig deep and understand, well, why am I being triggered by this? Because even though those are sad circumstances for somebody, you didn't put them there and you don't have an obligation to them to give up your, what's something that you have that has value to help them simply because you're in a better place. What do you guys, um, what, let's talk about some more billing and collections kind of things. Cause like I said, Ooh. one of my favorite subjects, so, um, you know, so like specific things, you know, nuts and bolts It's like for, we've already said, don't compromise your, your, fee structure. You know, if if it's a $5,000 retainer, then it's a $5,000 retainer. And if that person doesn't have it, they're probably not a good fit for your firm. Um, or, you know, your billable rate, you know, if your billable rate is 425, except for maybe the very rare case, like you said, a day where you have a low bono, but for the most part, your rate is your rate. Um, for me this comes up a lot and you guys have been being in how to manage in the past you probably have heard of the red rubber bands policy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, for people that haven't heard that it's something we've used gosh we've used it a few years now and i have to tell you it has worked wonders cutting down our ar significantly we used to have crazy ar and since we started doing red rubber bands policy which i'll explain in a second it's down to nothing. Like it used to be pages and pages of AR. My phone calls were like with my billing coordinator, were like an hour long. Now I swear, like if if they're 10 minutes, that's it when whenever we do billing. And it's one page.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And
0: so, and a lot of this does come down to some of the mindset stuff we're, we've already been talking about. But the red rubber band policy—the way we implemented it—we might have deviated a bit from how how to manage recommended doing it. But if somebody's uh, retainers five thousand, we ask them to replenish when it gets down to twenty five hundred, because you don't want to wait till it gets down to zero. And then, you know, you're chasing after them to pay and, you know, it might take them some time. We all have busy lives. Maybe they need to free up some money on a credit card or something. Um, but you don't want to wait till you get down to zero because then you're still doing work. And Absolutely. what was zero by the time they actually pay you is 1000 000- always- 2000 5000 you know, it just depends on what if the case is very active or not. But you don't want don't to wait until you get to that point. And right. largely the reason for that for me has been if they're not going to be able to replenish the retainer for whatever reason, I want to know when they're at zero or have a credit. I don't want to know when they owe me $5,000 because then you just end up with an AR that you really can't collect on. Right. So that's that's something we do, but the red rubber band policy is strictly that when you get down to a, a point at which we've asked you to replenish, we give you 14 days to do that. Uh, if you don't, then you are officially on red rubber band, where you actually get a letter advising the client that you're on red rubber band status because you haven't met your obligation to replenish your retainer. We're stopping work, and you have another 14 days to to make good on your retainer. And if you cannot or will not, we have to terminate our services. And it's been really effective. I, Are you going to say something?
2: Yeah. So we, we have a similar policy in our office. Um, and, you know, I, I will say, you know, there's there's probably some areas of opportunity for us to improve it. We do track WIP um, very closely. You know, our, our AR is... is you know, we've we've done a lot to manage it, and 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 it's in a very good place. Um, but but we we're not as strict as maybe we should be about our red rubber band, and and it's a policy. It should be a policy across the board. But we do have evergreen retainers. Um, you know, so so we're we're yeah. work. Seldom are we working in a situation where somebody owes us money and their work in progress is more than what they owe us. Um, and you know, there's there's a there are. There are some steps before rubber band that we that we've sort of implemented to soften it a
0: little bit because right. we feel like that
2: works better for our clients. Um, like
0: what? I'd love to hear those.
2: Um, you know, there's 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 some warnings in there. You know, before they get that, you know, 14 days, then we put you on. I think it's like a, um, uh, you know, I can and I'm happy to share a policy with you that our, our billing coordinator uses. But it's you know it's important because. It's the it's our value, right? It's what we bring to the table. Um, we have in our in our case list that we go through with our legal assistants. Um, there's there's an actual column for work in progress, so that gets updated as we're going through the month. So if there's ever a situation where mid month, we have worked into our retainer, we have the opportunity to ask for an additional retainer at any point. Um, we don't have to wait until we've sent a bill. So we have those conversations. That's kind of like the softness of it. You know, just want to let you know, here's where you are in work in progress. You're going to come up against an issue. Please make payment. Here's the link, all that good stuff. So that's that. well for us.
0: And mm-hmm. how often do you guys do billing? We we started doing them twice a month. We billed once a month.
1: Yeah, we do. We do too.
0: Yeah.
1: We, we do started, once a the month.
0: The reason we started doing that is because some people, as you guys know, they'll just run through a retainer really quickly. Like if there's a motion or a court event it runs out so quickly. And we do that for us so that we can stay on top of things, but we also do it for the benefit of the client so that they can see where their billing is because nothing pisses clients off more than to get a, you know, pay a retainer and then get a bill like three months later from some attorney who never does billing. Oh, by the way, you owe me $15,000. That pisses people off. So that's why we do it too. Not
1: only does it piss people off, but You know, here my primary practice is in New York State. And here, if you're if an attorney is not substantially compliant with the billing, they are not owed any money. So I have people come in, you know, for second opinions on their cases. And you know, I said, Well, you know, what are they billing you? Oh, well, it's been six months, I've never gotten a bill. Well, I've (laughs) heard that too. There is no excuse for that, but I, I think with respect to the collections you know your collection process starts with selecting the right client right your collection process starts with making sure that you have a client who realizes your your value wants to pay you for your value and can pay you for your value right because when we start ta- when we start talking to a client and they start saying well okay so the retainer is 5000 but can i pay that in three payments yeah you probably want to move away because that's probably not the right client for you <laughs> unless you're doing flat fee billing and you're going to say, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm not going to do any work in your case. It's a flat fee and I'm not going to do anything until you pay this entire thing up. I I, I don't do flat fee billing and, you know, I, I don't like to work in that manner because even though the practice management software can help us with making sure that we're up to date with those payments, I just don't want to put that additional headache on my staff. I, I really, yeah, I don't really you are
0: it. so right. No. And I'm sure that uh, you've probably learned that from your own mistakes right in the past. Mm-hmm. Cause we did things like that. And mm-hmm. you just realize the, um, you paint yourself into a corner and you're like, why am I dealing with this? Like, right. you know, right. and, and it, I think for me, at least it goes back to taking on your client's problems as your own. They're not your problems. They're you might be problem. part of the solution because you can help them, But their problems are not your problems. You know, their money problems are not your, it's not your problem that they can't afford to pay you.
1: Honestly, Christina, Um, none of their problems are your problem. And this is something that's really key because you find a lot of attorneys who are just so emotionally involved with their cases And to be honest with you, this is a mental health issue that we all need to think about, Mm -hmm. right? Because you see, we've seen people our adversaries and you're saying to yourself, what is going on? Why are they so worked up? This is not their case, (laughs) you know? And if you do yourself a disservice and you do your client a disservice because even though they think they want the pit bull rah rah, that's sometimes not even the best thing for them.
0: You are so right.
3: When the attorney loses perspective, on the big picture, and they're enthralled in all the litigation from day to day, they can't act, they can't um, represent their client very well, in my opinion, I mean, because then you're taking on their personality, you're taking on their fight, taking this on, you know, and you're not having that perspective, which is the key to our job, I think. Uh-huh. I
2: have said to clients before, you know, because we've all experienced it, you know, clients want to treat you like their therapist. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I, you you need one, I said, mm-hmm. you know, I can, I can refer you to one because that, you know, this is a difficult process that you're going through. And I think that you should have somebody to talk to. If you're paying me to be your therap- therapist, I'm not qualified. And, and I'm too expensive. So, you know, mm-hmm. let's, let's get you in the right hand. So somebody can help you because that to me is invaluable too, because I'm right. not going to take that on. I can't, I can't, I can't bear the burden of, of their emotional turmoil. You're right. right.
0: You're right. And you know, the other thing I try to point (laughs) out to clients too, when this comes up is I remind them, you know, you don't want me to be emotionally involved in your case because then I can't make sound judgments and sound decisions, you know, from a legal perspective, it's not my role to be emotionally involved in this with you. And I get it. You're a human being. You should not turn your emotions off. You know, you can't do that. I wouldn't be able to do that if it was my situation. But at the same time, I'm the lawyer. You don't want me to be emotionally involved in this and and recommend that they talk to a therapist about it. Right, right. And so if you're an attorney, I'll say something that might offend some people, but if you're an attorney and you find yourself continually getting emotionally involved with your clients and their, their causes... You need to go to therapy yourself. You need mm-hmm. to understand why you are doing that. You know, mm-hmm. you have some kind of like rescue syndrome or something like, you know, maybe deep down you're rescuing your mom from a bad situation you had as a kid or, you know, there's so many things it could be, but you need to understand why do I feel the need to be so personally involved with my clients? Because you are, will definitely burn yourself out for sure. Um, yeah. And I would bet that you have practices in your office that are counterproductive to having the firm that you want. So we all need <laughs> therapy though, don't we? <laughs> we, also, we need to take
2: Absolutely. care of ourselves.
3: I think we my, my husband said, uh,
2: how, I think it was Howard Stern said, anybody who can afford therapy should have therapy.
3: Absolutely.
0: It's so I, It is. I watched a David Geffen uh, documentary. I think it's on Netflix. I highly recommend it. He went to therapy. Well, you know, he's, you know, wealthy. He had a therapist come to his office like every single day for at least a year. It might have even been longer. I mean, I don't know that everybody needs that, but, you know, he's he's a high achiever. Right. So he did it. He did it every day.
3: We all need an outlet too. We need some kind of activity that we're doing that's completely unrelated to us building our business or working Mm -hmm. in the law. Like we -hmm. need an outlet. We're doing double duty as lawyers and business owners. And you need to do something outside of that where you can talk to people who are not necessarily lawyers or business owners or where you can just relax and know that you can have a free moment of safety and just be a person.
0: Yeah. And I think part of that, I tell my associates and my staff all the time, and sometimes they listen to me. A lot of times they don't. You need to have certain working hours. You know, I know, again, you know, we get sort of, you know, we get like a little bit personally involved with our clients, right? Like we're human beings. And especially if you like a client, um, you know, it's normal to kind of feel like a little bit of affection for them. But you can't just let your life that that become your life. And part of the way I do that is just setting clear boundaries. We talked about this a little bit last week. And for me, that looks like not returning emails all hours of the day and night and holidays, right. not giving clients my cell phone number. I learned a oh long time ago. I do not give clients my cell phone number. There are a couple that have them just because of, largely because some, a personal friend referred them and gave them my cell phone Mm -hmm. number, which they're all Mm -hmm. under strict instructions not to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then I have to sort of cut them off, like just not respond at certain hours or continually say, Hey, call my office. Or can you please email that to me? And Mm -hmm. after a while they you know, they, they see like, it's like the stray cat. If you keep putting out the milk, they'll keep coming back. If you it's, keep emailing them at one o'clock in the morning, they will keep doing it and that's expecting right. a response. That's, that's right. what they, that's what they learn to expect too. Right. Like, that's
2: you know, it's right. Like, it's like with my kids too. If I, if I'm rewarding bad behavior or behavior that I don't want to invite into my life, then why wouldn't they stop doing it? I think that the, the The boundaries part is is very important and not giving out your cell phone not doing all of that um because because it can overtake you and 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 it's also checks and balances for me like you know if somebody texts me on my phone nobody's seeing that but me um and then nobody knows you know unless i'm unless i'm communicating that to somebody else in the moment because i'm doing 10 other things it's forgotten about and so so then nobody in my office knows what was texted. And so that's the other thing that I always say to people. Like I, my that's legal true. assistants are copied on everything and there's a reason. Right. For
0: that. right. Yeah, well, especially with texting, you know, that concerns me because if we ever get sued, you know, for malpractice, it happens or yeah. there's a fee dispute or just, or just, you know, a, a difference of opinion with your client. Cause sometimes they misunderstand things, right? Like, when they don't get what they want at the end of the day, they need to blame somebody. And sometimes that somebody is you. And yeah. I've had people swear. I told them that their husband was going to pay all their council fees. And I know I never told them that. And you only have proof of that if you have the correspondence. And if you probably don't have the text messaging. So We perhaps- have, uh,
2: through our, our, our phone app, we have, you know, you can text message to so it. hmm Clients can still text message, but it's coming through a centralized, right? Yes, on- yes.
1: Right. right. Yeah, we my have case the same has thing. that. Yeah, yeah. We have that. My case has that. We have it. We have it through um, Connect, um, but Practice Panther now has a, an integration with Connect, and and so you can text just about anything, documents, so on and so forth. I think that you know when we talk about boundaries, uh, setting out your day and knowing how you work. And how your team works is extremely important so you know like i said we do everything by appointment so nobody can call and get any of our legal team whether it's the paralegal or it's the legal assistant or the attorneys you cannot just call and get us why because it's a time suck it is a time waste you are doing a motion on something else and sally sue calls you and there's an emergency we define what emergencies are in our office Okay, and so you know you need to you need to tell people. Well, this is an emergency. You know, somebody's getting arrested. Your kids, ACS is at the door. These types of things are emergencies. If you know your ex husband didn't bring back the water bottle for the kid, that's not an emergency. We're not talking about it. So you know the way we set up our uh, the way I set up up my day is that the morning is generally because I still practice, so the morning is generally um, reserved for my court appearances. Um, I have two days a week where I talk to clients in the afternoons and then two days a week where I do my um, my strategy sessions because I still do my own strategy sessions. And then I have one day a week that is more administrative, which is Friday and only gets interrupted if I'm arguing motions in, in New Jersey. Um, and so it's, it's really important and it works and people know, you know, no, you're not going to get a response. We're not going to get on the phone with you. It's just not going to happen. They get links to everybody's calendar and so they can put themselves onto our calendar. And what it's done is it's really reduced the amount of those telephone calls substantially. Um, you because know, Because a lot
0: of the calls were just unnecessary in the first place, right? Right.
1: And therefore the client is a lot happier with their bill because yes. they're not using us on the phone as a therapist and getting charged, you know, three and $400 an hour to talk to us about things
0: that they could have yeah. resolved on their own. Yeah. So, so not- that's all like boundaries. Go ahead, Stephanie. Yeah.
3: No, I was going to say, plus that's, you know, they call with, they have this one thought in their mind and then they have to call right away. And if you're constantly answering those one thoughts, they really, really add up. And they're also not making decisions on their own. right.
0: Right, yeah. Well, and again, you know, it, it go, it's all tied into the boundaries. And part of that is, I think we talked a little bit last time, is you're teaching people how to treat you. Right. Right? I mean, we're all always teaching people how to treat us, not just, right. not just clients, everybody in our life by what we tolerate. Um, so if you tell somebody, don't call me on my cell phone, but then they keep calling you on your cell phone and you answer it, well, you're showing them that it's okay for them to call you on the cell phone. Or if you ask them to pay their bill and you, and they don't, but you keep doing work, what are you telling them that it's okay? I don't really have to pay my bill. I'll pay it when I feel like it because they'll still keep working.
1: Right. Right. And you, you know what else that's important? You mentioned it um, and then we came off of it, but we were talking about money mindset and then we were talking about the mindset of our team. It's really important um, to realize that you're going to get to a point if you're successful very quickly where you're not going to be doing this stuff on your own and you need to invite people into the firm. There should be a system and a process for hiring those people and getting them onto the team. Um, and you need to really sit with yourself and figure out, how you're motivated, whether you're you have a money motivated mindset, and with, and how the people on your team are motivated, because the only way you get proper work out of these people who are coming onto your team to build your dream, quite frankly, um, is to make sure that you're in some way serving them. Right. So our our intake, our client care um, specialist, is fabulous, and she's she's very high energy, but she's also very motivated by getting the job done and getting the reward for that job. In her case, she's money, she's money mindset motivated. Um, And and we also have goals in our, we have goals in our office. Our team trip next year, I'm taking a a lead from Chelsea Lammy, who a lot of us know either uh, personally or by watching her success on things like Boss Lady. Our team trip is to Dubai next year. And so every time she gets a new person, um, to do a strategy. She's like, team Dubai, Dubai, Dubai. She just, or she sends it in teams, you know, right. So, you know, the, these are things that you, when you want people to work for you, you really have to set up things that will work for them
0: <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah. I have been mean, something I've learned from, from not doing it is you really do have to have a team, have like a team mindset where it's not just all of us doing separate jobs. No, we all are part of one cohesive unit and we each have our, our distinct roles, but we're all working together to a common goal. And that's definitely something I've neglected in the past with my firm now that I'm sort of changing gears um, I look back on the past eight years and I, and I, you know, think in a constructive way, like look back and well, what could I have done better? And that's definitely one of the things that I highly recommend people pay a little more attention to because when, especially when you get bogged down with everything and you're going into your office and you're like, oh my God, I got all these things to do. And I wish my staff would just not bother me because it's like, I feel like when they leave my office, now I have a new thing to do. Um, you know, there, there are ways to fix that um, probably can't address all of them here today. Oh, maybe I just came up with our next topic, <laughs> but, um, pay attention to that because those people are key to helping you get where you want to go. And you, and if you don't have the right people on your team, you just won't get there or it'll take you forever. And you'll probably realize too late. I think,
2: I think recognizing opportunities for change and and doing it and not just you know saying it are are really important. And it's something that Sarah and I, you know we've spent a lot of time of recent, you know, sort of looking introspectively and saying, okay, what what are we doing well? what can we be doing better? what are like where are opportunities for us to improve because none of us are perfect um and and there's always there's always an area where you know, you don't, you know you sort of like, take me as I am, or I can try to, I can try to be better at this, but, you know, um, and I think that that's a really important thing to just sort of every quarter or, you know, whatever it is, just sort of look at what's, what's operating really well in your firm and what you can really look at as an opportunity for
3: improvement. Mm -hmm. Part of that, I think we have to listen to our team, the people that we have chosen to bring into our, our group and hear what they have to say, what they, feel like is going right and what's going wrong. Um, because sometimes it's hard to look at ourselves in the mirror where we get so focused on doing something a certain way. And maybe there's, you know, we're rubbing the person the wrong way. Maybe the person that we're saying, let's, we're going to give you a bonus and this is money and they're not money motivated. They right. rather hear some affirmations um, right. as opposed to like more motivation. So we have to listen to what they want and what they need in order to keep them like, you know, Close and wanting to work for you, work hard for you.
0: Well, let me ask you this. I've always found that, you know, us as the boss, I'm using finger quotes because I hate that expression and never think of myself as a boss. But, um, what do you, how do you handle this? Like, I always feel like they don't, they're not always honest about those things. Like, if you ask them what we could be doing better or, you know, what, like, what. What on the firm maybe they don't like, what they do like. I find sometimes they feel like to protect their jobs that they have to, you know, give you positive responses. How do you guys handle that? So,
3: I one on ones I think are most important. So, I don't think you should ask these tough questions necessarily in a group because it becomes more difficult to answer. So if you have a one-on-one conversation um, with the person, then they might be more inclined to be open and honest with you. And I also think it's the same going back to what we were saying, teaching people how to treat us. We wanna grow. And if they feel like they're not in jeopardy for losing their job by telling us the truth, they'll continue to tell us the truth. And then you can't be mad at them when they tell you something that you don't wanna hear.
0: Were you going to say something, Jamie?
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I was actually going to say almost exactly that. I think that, you know, it, it's if if you're if you're the way that you receive information is is negative or defensive, then why would they ever tell you the truth? You know, and, and um, you know, it's I think showing that openness and opportunity and, you know, that that this is like a, a safe space, that's that's really Integral and and if you can't deliver that, then that that's a problem.
1: Right, I, I agree. And uh, you know there are still going to be some people who don't want to be candid, and so you know the way that we deal with that is we use uh, our payroll system is Gusto, right? And the good thing about Gusto is that Gusto has these um, surveys that you can send out, and you can customize these surveys every single month. And you can send them out to your contractors, you can send them out to your employees, and you curate questions. And the, 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 um, the, the uh, team member can also put in their little notes if you allow that empty space there. And you send it out and it's completely anonymous. And so you don't know who's saying what necessarily, but you can get a trend as to overall happiness in the firm and and whether people know what their, things like whether people know what their job is, whether they're supported, whether they have the right tools to function,
0: things like that, that can really help you build a better team. I have to tell you, we got a suggestion box one time before we were virtual. And, you know, we put it in the copy room and we told people, you can put something in there if you're worried I'm going to recognize your handwriting, you know, type it or something, you know, cut, cut out little letters from the magazines if you want. I don't care how you do it, but, you know, you don't have to put your name on it. Put it in there. And I go, nothing like hateful, okay? We're not in grade school, but like, like a real, like something constructive that maybe you just don't feel comfortable saying and you want it to be anonymous, put it in the box. Not once. Not once did anybody ever put anything. They the thought there were
1: cameras in the break room. They
0: thought were cameras in the break room. Um. So I don't know if this just says something really bad about my management style <laughs> or what. I don't know. I mean, I, I still that was like I said that like I can't teach people how to do that because it was not something I ever really figured out. Um but it sounds like you guys have a little bit. It's more also, if,
2: you, if you have somebody in your firm, you know, if you have a firm administrator or a PLA, you know, they're like that, that may be um, somebody that people feel more comfortable having a conversation with because you're not the quote unquote boss, you know, and, and it really just depends on, 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 I think the culture of your firm and the, and the people you have there, you know, there, there are always going to be people who are, are more open to, to discussing things and, and just, Trying to promote it is important.
0: I do think it's also a tricky balance. I mean, you can't be friends with your employees. I know a lot of people think they're friends with their employees. I have a hard time understanding how that is because there's you're just not equals. And it, you know, there's a pecking order in your firm. And what I have found is when I did kind of fall into that trap of like, oh, we're friends, you know, that's it's so much easier for me if we're just friends, right? But then, you know, something happens and, you know, they show up a half an hour hour late for work every day or, you know, they just screw something up and it comes time to have to have a hard conversation with it, with them. It's not easy because they get personally offended because you're not their boss, you're their friend. And here you are, you know, criticizing them about something. And I, I just, it, it makes things uncomfortable. And I think it, just, um, disturbs the dynamic that really should exist in your firm. What do you guys have to say about that? I have a lot to say about it. (laughs) I, you know, I, I
2: think that it is, it is very important. You know, you want, you want your office. I mean, it depends what you want, but in our office, we want it to be a friendly atmosphere. We want, you know, we want everybody to be, you know, to have a nice relationship with one another. But I think, um, you know, there is a boundary there and a line that if you cross it, it's really hard to uncross. Right. So, um, that is, that is a very, it's a very difficult line to walk, um, between, you know, the, the personal connection that you want to have with the people who are, are on your team that, that are, good and and doing all the things that are helping you and your business grow, but you can't really cross that
0: line. I agree. What do you guys no. think? Yeah, no, that, that that's true.
1: You know, we have uh, I think everybody in our firm really gets along and that's something that you have to pay attention to as well. I, I I don't know whether any of you use any of the personality testing or you know disk testing or anything like that, but it, it's important to be able to have a camaraderie. To be able to laugh with each other, you want to be able to to take everybody out to lunch and have a good time, but we are not friends, we are friendly, there is a difference, and it's actually not easier for you to be your employee's friend. It is more difficult, it is toxic, and it is detrimental to the health of your firm. You, you, we are not friends, we are friendly. There is a difference.
0: (laughs) A day has a very strong opinion and clear opinion about this. You're noticeably quiet, Stephanie. Tell what's going on over there. I'm someone
3: (laughs) because I'm someone who has crossed the line several times. I have
0: too. I think, I think Um, we probably all have, and it
3: does, it makes it so much more difficult. Um, it's difficult to manage someone when, you know, you don't want to hurt their feelings or you're concerned about the friendship. Um, it's hard to let someone go when it's time to let them go because they have a personal relationship with them. Um, over the years, I definitely have crossed the line. And it's like day said, it's not easier. It's way more difficult. Um yeah, so I have that's why I'm so quiet. I've done it.
2: And I think we all have. And you know, you can care about people on a personal mm-hmm. level and I think we all do. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 I care deeply for everybody in in my office, but I think if if you you are doing them a disservice too, to to cross that boundary and expect that when when you need to be in the, you know, employer boss zone, you're going to just jump back over that boundary and everybody's going to fall in line.
0: Right. Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, I think for me, you know, my personal reasons were sort of selfish. It was like, I don't want to be a boss. I don't want to have to figure out how to, you know, maneuver, negotiate this relationship. Like, I don't know how to do that because I went straight from being an associate. I guess we all did to having a firm. Um, and then once I had employees, I never had any management experience. I never had any supervisory experience at all ever. I, and I didn't have how to manage at the time. I hadn't read anything about it. Like nobody would ever put me in a supervisory role because I never had experience doing it. But yet here I was now having to do it. And I think for me, it was just easier. Like, of course we're going to be friends. We want to like each other. We have to work together all day. But then when you see those little, you know, those, those weird things pop up where it's like, okay, I just asked her to do something. And I guess she thinks she can do it next week or he, you know, they, they don't think they have to do it now because I asked them to, because we're friends. Um, And so when you experience that enough and you start to realize like my firm is not running as efficiently as I wanted to, because I have all my friends working for me. And that's great when you know you're parked at home watching old reruns of sex in the city with a bottle of wine but that is not good when you're when you're at your law firm and your big fancy lawyer and you're trying to grow your firm so um hopefully people recognize that uh, long before i did that you're a boss now and if you can't handle that if you don't want to do be in that role then you need to outsource it and you need to have a law firm administrator or somebody else who is doing that. And it has to be someone who knows how. They can't have the same problems you do, right? Isn't that what John, the founder of How to Manage, always says is you have to hire people that are, for what that role is, that they're really good at that, you know, better than you. They know how to do it. Um, And that's probably a good segue into another little piece of advice is be careful who you hire. Make sure they can actually do what you hired them for, right? Don't hire potential. I think that's what Arjun always says. Don't hire potential. Hire ability. Because i am done that too.
1: Absolutely. They tell you not to marry potential, <laughs>
0: and they tell yeah. you not to hire potential, and it's all true. Wait, wait! We might be out of jobs if everybody listens to that one. No, keep yeah, that's right. Keep marrying potential, man. <laughs> well, there's plenty of other reasons people get divorced, but um, no. yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah, and and you need to not be afraid. So you know, the hiring process should be a slower process. Right. It's not that you're doing it that you're doing it slow because you are procrastinating. You should be hiring slowly so that you are investigating what the person can and cannot do. I hired somebody back in 2016 and this lady, oh my goodness, I do not even speak her name. We just say we, in the office we say the one who showered remain name was it's like Prince, like when I'm Prince had Voldemort. a Voldemort.
0: Stim- I'm not a oh, Harry Potter Voldemort. fan but Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But, you know, this person and this person came from a Fifth Avenue firm in the city and, you know, they should have been able to do the things. And I gave one assessment, but not a deep assessment. Um, and and I, and you know what the thing I did, you know, the thing I did that was really detrimental. I went against my gut. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, there was something about the person. I was like, ah, maybe. Mm. And I should have just gone with my gut because this person turned out to be a complete nightmare. And this person stymied, I allowed the person to stymie my ability to hire another person to replace her very quickly and get out of the rut. So people, you have to realize that, you know, this is business. Nobody owes you anything. You owe yourself something, but nobody owes you anything, which is why the friend thing won't work. Right. (laughs) And, and, and you need to not get stuck when something doesn't work recognize it doesn't work, mourn for the fact that it didn't work and you have to move on. Otherwise you can't grow your firm.
0: Yeah. I'm with you hundred percent. I think
3: that's just the most important thing I've heard like this entire time is be quick to move on to the next thing. Acknowledge the fact that there is a mistake, mourn for that mistake or whatever you need to do, and then get ready to fix the mistake. Don't live in that, Mistake for a long period of time because it becomes toxic. I have done that. And it, you know, it does. It's
0: kind of like relationships too. Like you started this a day, so I'm going to blame you, but it goes back <laughs> to like a bad marriage, you know? I mean, okay. Yes, you could go to therapy and those kinds of things, but at some point you have to acknowledge to yourself, and this could be anything a romantic relationship, a friendship, a business relationship. If it's not working, it's probably not going to change. You know, like we kind of have to acknowledge when something's just not working. You know, people don't change. Maybe they can grow and evolve, but that's a little different. And you have to want to do that. And I think that's the
2: key. I think identifying, you know, on your team when somebody is open to growth and change and, and coaching and doing all of the things, you know, that that's somebody you want to cultivate, you know, and, and, but you have to be able to, to look objectively and and realize when somebody's just not, because, you know, it's, it, those are difficult decisions and, and, you know, hiring the right people and doing it slowly and doing all of the, you know, the things that are necessary in the hiring process is, it will save you so much time and money and energy. Um, yeah.
0: and, never get back. I and, totally and it agree. will save you
1: disappointment too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And look, you're business owners, you're all going to make mistakes. That's impossible to avoid. Just see them as lessons. You know, right. once when you make one mistake, it's kind of like the universe just pointing you in a different direction. I think Oprah said that or something like that. Um, but it's totally true. It's like, it's like your life's GPS is just course correcting. Okay, that didn't work. Now I know I know why that didn't work. I'm not gonna do that again. I know better what I need to do for next time. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, so many people are so afraid to they they what is that expression? Um paralysis, paralysis. by analysis. Yeah. yeah, they won't make a decision because they're so afraid it's the wrong one. Well, at some point you just have to make one, just make yeah. a damn decision. Yeah, yeah. and then you'll the find out if it works. Yep. Yeah. Right. You got to make the
1: decision to figure out whether the decision works. Right. Yeah. You can not just, you know. You, yeah. And the other thing is that people don't know their numbers. Like you need to know your numbers. Don't go hiring 10 people and you can't even pay yourself. You need to know your numbers. And if you're not a numbers person, because, of course, they don't they don't teach us how to be entrepreneurs in, in law school. Right. So before, you know, before you start venturing in, out and buying all this up, hire a daggone bookkeeper, know what's going on in your business You know, we, I I subscribe to the, to profit first. So, you know, every time money comes in, money goes into my income account, then money gets put into the operating account. Then I have money in owner's comp. Then I put my tax money away. Don't have it be that you're grinding so hard and you're making all this money and you don't know what's going on with your money and you don't know where it is.
0: Yeah. I have some friends that went solo, not all that long ago, and I would sort of give them little nuggets like we're doing. And I'd say, well, what's your revenue? Like, what was your revenue last month? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> How the hell do you not know what your revenue was last month? How you is need that to know what your damn more? revenue was. <laughs> oh, Okay, so I've got to. I, we're coming up on an hour, and I want to be respectful of your time, but I got to tell you the bookkeeper thing. I've had the worst luck with bookkeepers. Um, if anybody, if anybody is madly in love with their bookkeeper. Please tell me, send me their name because um, we've made this mistake. I'm not afraid to admit it. This is a mistake we've made continually is we hire the bookkeeper. We're like, oh, this one's going to be really good this time because so-and-so recommended them. And I just know this one's going to be really good this time. And then we let them do our books for like 10 months without ever looking at anything. And then we, the 10th month we look at the books and we're like, oh my God, they've been doing like, all this stuff wrong for 10 months and now we have to go back and fix all of it. So my advice to you, hire your bookkeeper. Yeah. Don't do that. Hire your bookkeeper, but check their work on a monthly basis. Make sure you are, don't just give, you know, hire wonderful people and and just let them run and never see them ever again. That is uh, I think Arjun calls that managing by abdication, Uh. something I've been guilty of where you're like, okay, you, you just go do that now, because I don't want to do it. And now it's off my plate. And oh, thank God, I can go do something else. Now, you still have to sort of supervise that there's got to be checks and balances, you got to make sure are they actually doing their job? Are they doing it? Right? Um, and I, that's, you know, distinguishable from micromanaging. Absolutely.
3: Yes. Understand how to read the reports as well. Like, you need to understand when your bookkeeper sending you your management report you can understand what the profit the profit and losses are the you know if people sometimes look at this and go oh great here's the money in the account but then they're not looking at the breakdown of expenses they're not looking at the balance sheets for certain things like you have to look at all of it and understand and how- oh sorry Go no, And I was going to
2: say, have like a forward facing budget, have a plan, have, you know, and, and be able to track that because, and, you know, one of the things I, I got lost in like the, the budgeting piece, cause I love numbers too, but I, you know, I, I wanted it to be so, you know, detailed and specific. And, and then it, then I, re, you know, I started to realize that it's, it's a plan and it, and it's subject to change and you can't, you know, you can't be wedded to everything in your budget, you know, to the that the numbers are going to line up exactly as you anticipated. Um, But it's got to align with your business plan. It's got to be like one cohesive unit that that is guiding the ship forward.
0: Yeah. All good advice, ladies. I can't, this time went by so fast. I feel like there's just a million other things we could talk about. I hope the viewers get something good out of it. If you have a new firm or you're thinking of starting your own firm, or if you've been doing this for 15 years and you realize now you've been doing it all wrong, it's okay. It's okay. It's never too late. We're always learning, right? Business owners are problem solvers that's what we are. That's what we do. We'll always be. So thank you, ladies. I'm going to have links to your websites in the comments for everybody who would like to stalk you further on the internet. I (laughs) highly recommend that you do and, um, would love to have you back another day. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks guys. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening to wake up call the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com and be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media, look up Wake Up Call the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.